is ready to get into the Word this morning. I know I am. Man, I'm excited. Uh, we have a guest speaker here today. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Justin. I'm the pastor here. Uh, I shaved my beard a week ago, so you have high school Justin uh, with all of you for the next few weeks, maybe for the summer. Uh, but it is good to be with all of you today. Uh, I'm excited because uh, today I asked one of my brothers and friends to come and share the word. He comes every year and is just a blessing to this house. Uh, and, you know, every year I just am excited to have him come to speak to our family because he's, he is family to me. He's a brother from another mother. Uh, and the blessing that he has had in my life, I remember actually... Pastor Adam, the first time I heard you preach, I was at a youth pastor's fellowship in Bay Ridge Christian Center, uh, just a few blocks away, uh, and I remember thinking, like, man, that dude could preach. <laughs> and I loved what he preached about and what he spoke about because I just, I saw the heart of God uh, in him and just the passion to love God and to help other people love God as well. And so I know that as he preaches today, if you ever thought I was a passionate preacher, you know nothing. Uh, and you were about to witness a passionate preacher, uh, but I love it because as he is passionate to preaching us God's things, we get to see his passion towards God, and that just overflows while he's speaking. So can we give a warm welcome to Pastor Adam Durso this morning? Oh, that's awesome. Like hometown privilege right there. Um, uh, Justin, Pastor Justin was just um, joking on me because the clock is at zero right now, and um, I, I guess that's because um, uh, they're going to let me do my introduction before they start it, because I told them that the length of time he texted me yesterday, I wasn't going to be getting out of my intro before the time would be up, and that wasn't cool. Um, let me just say a couple of things by way of introduction. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can open up with me to John, the 11th chapter. They're going to put it on the screens if you don't. I'm uh, so excited this morning. Uh, number one, um, a, a brother is born in the time of adversity, the Bible says. And um, what you might not know about my relationship with Pastor Justin is that our relationship wasn't forged because we were colleagues and we were going to show up to preach for each other. But when he was at a difficult time and then when I was at a difficult time, it forged the relationship we have. I, I tell leaders around the globe, literally, I, I leave to London tonight. I was in Tokyo and, uh, and in uh, Indonesia uh, three weeks ago. I, I tell leaders all the time, leadership is only lonely if you choose it to be. And in this room, I've got, I've got some brothers in this room. I mean, Pastor Justin is a brother to me. Pastor Jonathan, who, who came in from Chicago, and I was so glad the timing linked up that he would be leading worship today. He's like a brother. We go back in ministry. He was 16. I was 19. I won't tell you how old I am now. Praise Jesus. Uh, Jonathan uh, Rodriguez that's here. Jessica that started in my youth group at 11. People that pray for me. I am, I am, I am blessed this morning, people that pray for me, brother and sister Rodriguez, Miriam and, and brother Colado, people that, that I know when I'm traveling around the globe and I set foot on the soil of a foreign country, I know that I don't step out of that plane by myself. I know that there are people calling upon the Lord. And um, it is so important that you don't just come to church, but that you establish community. 
People need to know who you are. Don't come late, leave early, and then when time comes and when trouble hits, you got nobody to share it with. In times of adversity, you need to be able to call somebody and say, all hell is breaking loose. I need you to pray for me, and I'm so blessed. Uh, I was at the very first service for Zion. I was here with my wife. We sat up there with my kids, and, and uh, my wife, by the way, brings you greetings. She drove back from Orlando yesterday and got in late, and uh, the kids were all sleeping. And when I was trying to leave the house, and I decided it was better for me not to backslide than uh, just to leave them home. And I just love being here. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for the manifest sense of your presence that is in this room. Speak to us so clearly. Hide your servant behind the cross, but speak to us, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Would you shout amen? amen. John chapter 11 and beginning with the 38th verse. And then Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave that had a stone laid across the entrance of it. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for there has been, it has been four days. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so they rolled away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that they have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this to the benefit for those who are standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. The last verse is interesting because the Bible gives us a, a keen insight into something. And that's that no matter what miracle God does in your life, the first rule about miracles is that miracles are not just for you. When God does a miracle, when God moves on your behalf, it's not so that you can hoard it and keep it to yourself. It's so that you can share it with somebody else. Because the truth of the matter is most people resonate with your pain before they resonate with your truth. They were sitting at the table, skeptics and people that didn't believe Jesus. And because Lazarus was sitting there, they put their faith in Jesus. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist from Chicago, the shoe salesman who spoke to 100 million people before there was ever radio, television, or a microphone, said when you want to evangelize, find your Lazarus. Interesting enough that this Chicago salesman that was criticized by other ministers, spoke with a lisp, and had no better than a third grade education, and yet God used him. This, of course, is the story of Lazarus, and the Bible says that when they send word to Jesus, he's only a couple of miles away from Lazarus, and Lazarus is sick. As a matter of fact, when they send word to him, they say, the one whom you love is sick. This is no stranger. This is somebody that, that they know. This is a home where, God, where Jesus has found refuge. This is a home where Jesus has stayed many times before Jesus loved Mary and Martha. This is the woman Mary who poured perfume on his feet and wiped them with her hair. This is, this is a family that he knew. And when they get word, when they send word to Jesus, the one whom you love is sick, he stays two more days. What happens when you pray and Jesus doesn't respond the way you think he should? 
What happens when you call upon God and he doesn't respond according to your timeline, according to the way we want him to show up. We want God to show up in the moment and God delays and in his waiting in that moment, I don't know about you, but I've gotten frustrated. God, how could you wait? How could you delay? He waits two more days and then he tells his disciples, Lazarus has gone to sleep. His disciples, they respond to Jesus. Jesus says, look, I'm going to go wake him up. And his disciples are like, no, 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 you shouldn't go wake him up. If, he, if he's falling asleep, he's going to get better because they, they don't get it. Matter of fact, what you'll find in this story is that his disciples who have been around him for three plus years don't even get it. And this two women, Mary and Martha, have a much keener understanding and revelation of who God is. In the moment he says to him, I got to tell you plainly. No, 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 what you don't understand is that he's dead. And for your sake, I'm glad he's dead. We're going to go back and we're going, you're going to see something. It's going to encourage and deepen and mature your faith. The times of waiting, the times where God doesn't respond the way you think he should is because he wants to mature our faith. He wants to deepen our faith. The ability to trust God in the dark for what he promised you in the light. The truth of the matter is that when you can't see the path, you can understand and know his word and have a trust in him that says, God, in the midst of everything, I'm so glad you're still there. Underneath are the everlasting arms of God. And I'm thankful this morning that it's not so much that I hold on to God, but that God holds on to me. He heads back. And while he's still a distant, while he's still a ways off, Martha hears that he's coming. Mar Martha's the type A of the two sisters. Martha's the type A. She's the one that when Mary was, was, was sitting at Jesus' feet and she was busy in the, in the kitchen making her okongandule. And, 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 and I, I don't know that that's what they made back then, Mar Miriam, but I'm just saying if Jesus was coming to my house, if Jesus was going to show up, like, I, I told people recently, I'm like, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of people in the Bible that people wish they were like. People want to be the two witnesses in Revelation 11. They want to be the guy that calls down fire on a mountaintop. The, there's, there's people that want to shut up the heavens. I just want to be the guy who took a nap on the rooftop, woke up and said, we can have lechon. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, like, that would be my spot. Like, I was the guy, like, like thank God, like, Peter falls asleep. Wakes up, and he's like, we're having chuletas for dinner. I mean, boom, I'm that guy. Martha's cooking in the house. Jesus is sitting there reclining. Mary's worshiping and praying and sitting at his feet. And Martha's like, come on, Jesus, tell Mary to get up and help me. Martha's the type A personality. She doesn't wait for Jesus to get to the graveside. She doesn't wait for Jesus to get to the house. She finds out where Jesus is at. She comes and meets him where he's at. Shows up and says, Jesus, if you just would have been here. Jesus says, don't you, don't you understand that those that believe in me yet? She says, no, 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 I get it, Jesus. I know on the last day, I, I know in the resurrection, he'll, 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 he'll live. But no, 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 and Jesus has to let her know, Martha, you don't understand. I am. I am. I am 
that I am, the I am that told Moses in a burning bush, I am the I was and is and is to come in Revelation. I was dead and lives and yet still to come. He's the God who always is. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He is the I am that I am. Whatever you need him to be, he will be. I don't know what you came in here to church with this morning, but whatever you need, I am's got it. If you are in the midst of anxiety and worry, I am your peace. In the midst of your difficulty, I am your joy. In the midst of your sickness, I am your healing. In the midst of your struggle, I am your way out of no way. You see, when you understand who I am that I am is, it doesn't matter where you are and what difficulty you're facing. You can lift up your hands and say, ah, but I thank you, God. I am that I am. I thank you. You have everything that I need. Don't you understand? I am the resurrection and the life, Martha. Don't you understand? If you would simply believe, you would see the glory of God. Could it be that simple? Could it simply be that we would choose to trust God that has not failed and doesn't plan on starting now? The God who's been faithful even when we haven't been faithful. He is faithful and true. His name is faithful and true. Martha hears the words of Jesus runs back to the house and lets her sister know. So Martha's the type A, Mary's the emotional one. Mary's, Mary's all messed up. She's crying. I, mascara's running. And, and then, you know, I'm just saying, I, can, can I just say this to you? I mean, some of the most beautiful praise looks like ugly praise. The most beautiful praise to God has mascara dripping, snot running, voice cracking, has nothing to do with singing on beat because think about it. If he's surrounded by cherubim and seraphim, if he, he's surrounded by choirs of angels that are perfect beings that literally could sing on pitch at every single moment, that what differentiates your worship and mine? It's that our praise costs something. It's that in the midst of our trouble, in the midst of our difficulty, we can choose to give him the sacrifice of our praise. What's the sacrifice? The sacrifice is in the midst of everything else and every other reason of why I shouldn't be praising, I'm going to choose to praise him anyway. So Martha goes back, tells Mary, Mary bolts out the house. She runs out the house so fast that everybody that's around her watching her grief thinks she's running back to the tombside, back to the cemetery, back to the graveyard so that she could grieve again. I don't know if you've ever been in a funeral where somebody got so emotional that in that moment they bolted out of a room and she bolts out the room to go find Jesus. And in that moment, Jesus sees Mary and he's overwhelmed. Jesus is still... Not yet at the graveyard. He's still where Martha came to meet her. He sees Mary. She's overcome and distraught. She's been weeping. Her eyes are bloodshot. She's been crying. She's been grieving. She looks disheveled to everybody else on the outside. She looks like she's run out the house because she lacks or hope, and yet she knows the one who is hope is the one she's running to. Runs out the house to find 
her Savior. And when Jesus sees her, the Bible says he's overcome. He's moved. And we get the shortest verse in the Bible. Two words and yet might be one of the most significant verses in the Bible. Because it tells us so much about our God. It says, and Jesus wept. Two words. Jesus wept. He didn't weep for Lazarus. He knew what, La what was going to happen with Lazarus. He knew Lazarus was going to be raised. That he knew in that moment he wasn't, it wasn't for Lazarus that he was weeping. He was so overcome with the emotion and the grief of the other people who were around him. He was moved. His heart was moved with compassion. And he begins to weep with those that weep. Hebrews tells us that this Jesus, he's a better high priest because this high priest that prays and ever lives to make intercession on our behalf is acquainted with our grief. Understands what you feel. If you walked into church this morning and you thought your God stood far off and was some God in the clouds that is not aware of what you're going through. I'm here to tell you this morning, no, 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 no. You don't understand the God I serve. The God I serve is moved with compassion and he's acquainted with our grief and he's close to the brokenhearted. And when you and I call the God of the whole universe that holds the universe together by the word of his power, the God who the heavens cannot contain his glory, when we call, he inclines his ear. He literally bends off his throne to listen to your cry. And when you don't have words to articulate your praying, I'm thankful for a God that reads tears. He wept. He's moved. This Jesus that ever lives to make intercession. I'm so thankful for a God that whenever I go to pray, I'm never the first to pray. Because there's already one sitting at the right hand of the Father. There's already one making intercession on my behalf. There's already one sitting at the right hand of the Father, understanding that we are but dust. He's moved with compassion. He weeps, and he says, take me to where, where Lazarus is. And he comes to the graveside, and this is where we pick up the story in the Bible. says, And he's deeply moved again. And so he tells them, almost like in his humanity, Jesus, 100% God, and yet 100% man. I, I, I don't understand it. I, I don't understand the incarnation. I'm not fully understanding why it's not 50-50 and how it can be 100 and 100. But I, I trust my Bible enough to know that if I was smart enough to figure out God, then he would not be God. And so I look to him and I understand that in his divinity he knew exactly what he was about to do. But in his humanity he's moved again. And in almost in a, and just like out of his emotion, just, just move away the stone. The waiting's been over. You've suffered long enough. You've been through it long enough. Your, your grieving is about, your, your, you've been weeping for a night. But there's joy that comes in the morning. My brother, my sister, could this be the morning that your joy has come? Roll away the stone. And Martha, you know, she's the, she's the type. I, I love all the people in the Bible that give Jesus advice. It never works out for them. Right? Like, like Peter's like, no, 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 no. You're not going to do this. Like, get thee behind me. Like, that was messed up. 
You know, earlier in the story, he's sleeping. Leave him, Jesus. He's fine. And Jesus has to correct him. To, now, now Martha's like, no, 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 no. Jesus, we can't, we can't roll away the stone. It stinks. The stench of death. The decaying process has now begun. We can't roll away the stone because what's behind the stone stinks too bad. Could it be that many people on this Sunday will go to church all around the globe Jesus will be there. They will be facing a season of difficulty. And simply because they're unwilling to roll away the stone, they will leave church the same way they got there. You see, the atmosphere doesn't change until they roll away the stone. People will come to church and they'll, they'll, they'll say, no, 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 I'm good. People ask them, how are you doing? And they'll say something like, God is good all the time. The truth of the matter is it's become a deflection. It's become an opportunity to keep everybody at an arm's length so that nobody asks what's really going on deep down inside. Because the truth of the matter is if you got close enough to me, you'd recognize that what's deep down inside, it stinks in here. It's riddled with death and decay. And the relationship is so bad that every time I get close to the next relationship, it ruins the next relationship based on what the old relationship was like. No, 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 we can't, we can't roll away the stone. When, when Moses was, was standing at a burning bush, was told, I am that I am, it was in that moment that, that the Lord told him, you got to put your hand inside your cloak. Whatever your opinion is about, about Moses, here's what I know. I, I know Moses has got a great tan. I mean, he's been in the desert for 40 years. Somebody asked me recently what I like on vacation. I like several things on vacation. I want a beach. I don't know about the rest of y'all that want to go where it's snowing. Praise God for y'all. I want a beach. Can I get an amen right there? Thank you. I want to go to water where I can see the bottom of it. I'm just saying, you go to Rockaway. If they have to have a color code for whether or not you should get in the water, don't get in the water. I'm just saying, it's like, it's blue. What does blue mean? Blue means a body floated by yesterday. Be careful. I, I want to I go to the Caribbean. I want a beach. I want to see my feet when I get past knee deep. I, I want to be, I, I be on a beach. I, I, wanna, I, want, I want really good food. Um, I, I want to be, I, I want roti and I want um, goat, uh, curry goat and I want, I, want some, I want some really good spicy Caribbean food. And then I want to come back at least three shades darker. Like I don't want to have to be asked, oh did you go on vacation? I want them to be like, oh you went on vacation. That's how I want it to be. I, I want somebody to be like, you know, that, that's, so Moses has been in the desert for 40 years. I don't know if you go back to the Charleston Heston Ten Commandments days or whatever you go back to. Here's what I want you to know. Whatever you think about his complexion, my man had the Hawaiian tropic tan. So when he pulls his hand out from within his, 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 outer, his outer cloaking and it's, it, it lacks all pigmentation, he completely understands Put it back inside your cloak, he tells him, and when he pulls it back, it's restored because God never exposes to embarrass. 
But in that moment, he was telling him, there's death in here. You know what I found? I found that the longer you're in church, the thicker your cloak gets. You keep the stone in front so that nobody really gets to know you well enough to know that there's some stuff going on inside that stinks like death and decay. And the thing, the thing that repulses everybody else when they get close enough to you and you're, you're willing to be vulnerable with them and you, you actually share what your feelings are, you, you really share what's going on inside of your heart. Here, here's what I've learned. The very thing that repulses everybody else attracts the power of God. Where everybody else stopped, where everybody else got a whiff of the death, the smell, the stench behind the stone, it literally attracts the power of God in that moment. And God shows up and he says, no, 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 Martha, roll away the stone. I know you think, I know, I know you think that it's, it, I, I know you think that by covering it up, it's the same thing. No, 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 no. That, that's why in the New Testament, he told Timothy, Paul says, no, 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 you don't understand. There's some people that have got a form of godliness. But it denies the power therein because the real power of God is, I can imagine in that moment, no, no, Martha, you don't understand, roll away the stone. I do my best work in a graveyard. I do my best work in a cemetery. You don't understand in the midst of your difficulty, in the midst of what you're facing, in the midst of what you're going through, in the stuff that's been all types of behind the stone, and you didn't want nobody else. This God who the Bible says in Revelation, his eyes, they blaze with fire, and they can, they can see right through to the heart of the matter. In that moment, all he was telling you, this whole worship service is, roll away your stone. Because I don't care how bad it smelt to everybody else. If you could have one moment in my presence where you were vulnerable enough to roll away your stone, I could bring life where there's been death. I am the resurrection and the life. And in a moment, the atmosphere shifts. They begin to roll away the stone. It's a tomb etched out of the side of a cave. If you've ever been to Israel, you'd understand what that looks like. And they push the stone out from in front of the grave. And then Jesus, looking up toward heaven, thankful that the Father always hears him when he calls in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. In that moment, in that moment, what stunk like death leaped up on its feet. In a moment, what stunk like decay, what had become corrosive, what would have repelled everybody else became the resurrection power of God and the fragrance of life 
permeated throughout that cemetery and where there were weeping and there was tears of horrific and, and hopelessness in that moment became tears of joy because what was dead now became alive simply because somebody was willing to roll away the stone. Could it be that on this Sunday morning, this July 7th, could it be that you might have come? Maybe you didn't know what to expect. Maybe you came so that you would simply appease your conscience. Maybe you came because you really do believe and trust that God would do something on your behalf. But there's an area of your life that you've kept hidden closed up. It's an area that if you were really honest it's permeated throughout your life. People that get close enough to you they can smell it all over you. People that get close enough to you they the anxiety is real. Depression is real. The hurt difficulty, the trouble, all of the aspects and areas of your life that you've kept hidden behind a stone simply because if anybody really knew what was going on, they would smell what you know is there and that there's a stench behind the stone. There's death in there. And yet for every relationship and for every situation and for every circumstance and for everything you're possibly facing and going through, if Jesus is there, then it's too soon to stop praying. It's too soon to quit asking. And it's not worth it to keep it hidden from him who already knows. Your lack of vulnerability may, may just may get everybody else to have no idea what's really going on. But the truth of the matter is, he already knows. He already understands. And the atmosphere in your life would shift you would come to know and understand the God who does his greatest work in a graveyard if you were simply willing to roll away the stone in your life. Would you bow your heads at me?